these. And I would go, and I remember thinking, wow, I've got it, I've got it great, because I'd see so many of these other patients. But I knew I was the only one in my grade who was going to a place called a crippled children's hospital, right? And this bared itself out in many different ways. Whenever I played sports as a kid, I played as a young kid, I played football and baseball. As an older through high school, I played baseball. Um, when you have a bum hip, do you know what that means? It means the slowest girl in the grade was faster than me. Yet, I was trying hard. Uh, we used to run a lot on the baseball team, and we'd run foul poles. I'm not sure if you know what that is. You go from one side in left field all the way around the fence to the right and then back. And my teammates would typically uh, get done about seven or eight minutes before me, lagging behind. Now I wished I was faster. And I thought that I'd overcome this weakness until recently I challenged my children to a race. It didn't fare so well. Now, that's just one thing. But I can look back over the course in history of my life and see particular things in me that I'm just not good at, that I just don't get, particular physical ailments that I have that may be unique to me, that may be common among us, whatever it may be. And what I see in the passage this morning is God says, oh yeah, I'm going to leave you in that weakness. So this morning, what I want us to see is not behind God's providence is a frowning face for us and our weaknesses, but actually a smiling face. I want us to see that in our weaknesses, God is for us. Okay, we're going to look at how grace Grace, God's grace is for the weak, how his grace is for the insufficient, and we're going to see how the cross of Jesus Christ is magnified in our weakness. All right, so let's get going in it. So the first thing that I want to draw your eyes to as we look at how grace is for the weak is verse 9. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, when you and I think about weakness, what do we typically think of? If you're a Christian, I think most of the time we think about our sin, right? Our, our tendency, our proclivity towards sin, that we continue to struggle with the same sins. Man, I keep struggling with my anger, or I keep struggling really kind of against my greed or whatever it may be. But that's not really what this verse and what this word is talking about. This Greek word for weakness here, if we look in other places, even in, even in uh, the New Testament, here's how it's translated. Romans 6.19 says, calls it natural limitations. Uh, the last chapter in Acts says that weaknesses, it's the same, it's translated as diseases or infirmities. Uh, Galatians 4 calls it an ailment. Do you hear how that, how that word is being used? It's not really being used with reference to sin whatsoever. It's being used with our natural limitations. 
And so when the Apostle Paul, he's calling out to the Lord three times, he's pleading with him, would you take away this thorn in my flesh? Most commentators believe that Paul had some sort of eye disease because he dictated his letters because he couldn't see very well. I don't know, most, I mean, most people don't know exactly what he had, but it does seem like that he had this eye disease. And he's calling out to the Lord, saying, look, this is my weakness. Will you remove it? And the Lord kindly says, no. Weaknesses, it doesn't mean sinfulness, friend. It is much more than that. It's more broad. And I'm going to go through a few examples to show you how this understanding of what it says when it says weaknesses can really, really help us in the day-to-day. For instance, some of us struggle with panic attacks. I don't want hands. But a number of you do. And I know this, I know this well. If you ever had a panic attack, you know that it is not fun. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to kind of get a grip on reality. You tunnel vision in. But here's the thing. It's not sinful to have a panic attack. It's not. It's just a demonstration of your frailty and your weakness right? Some of you struggle with a genetic disease like me, or maybe not even a genetic disease, but something you're always having to take care of, whether it's in your body, in your eyes, or whatever it may be, like the Apostle Paul. And you did nothing to deserve that. Yet it's out of our fallenness that you have it. And it makes us weak. It makes us frail. And so many times, you've called out to God to heal you. And he, for some reason, hasn't yet. Some of us have an ability, let's just to handle more than others. Some of you guys in the congregation, I mean, you're real hustlers, and you can work 60 hours a week and just absolutely kill it. There are others in our congregation here who, if they're able to work 40 hours a week and survive, that's a good week. Some of us are just able to handle more. In school, kids, some of you are really good at math, right? How many of you kiddos hate math? Yes, some honest hands go up. Most of you probably hate math because you're not particularly good at it, right? And you know what? It's not a sin to be bad at math. It may mean you get a bad grade, but it's no sin. It's kind of a weakness. If you're like me, kiddos, how many of you really don't like to read or do language arts? That was me as a kid. It's not sinful. It's just part of our weaknesses. God makes some people with a bent toward numbers. God makes some people with a bent toward words. We exist in this place of weakness. Now, the world 
treats weakness as a hindrance. It treats weakness as a hindrance. Is it? Look at what the text says. Even the Apostle Paul's own words are really funny to me. Uh, so God gives Paul, he calls it a thorn in his flesh, and the Apostle call, calls it a messenger of Satan. To me, now, I don't know how bad his disease or anything like that is. I've had a hip disease for my entire life. I'm 39 and change, and not once have I ever called it a messenger of Satan. That would be really... I might do that this week because that's funny. But Paul, in so many great ways, he shows us the true spiritual nature of what's going on, right? This is a messenger of Satan because he believes that it's contrary to God's purpose, but what he sees is God designed it for good. Why? To keep him humble. To keep him from being conceited. And what this, display, what this displays for us is that grace is for weak people. It's for weak people. Why do you think Christianity historically has been the most popular in the poorest places? In places that are the most diseased? Because grace is for weak people. Because people who are weak realize that they need help and they need something out of themselves. So what's your thorn? What is your messenger of Satan? What has God given you? It's important for us to see this too, friend. This is really important, especially in the area where we're in, in the Tulsa metro area that's so influenced by prosperity gospel and by word of power theology. Might it be the case that he's given you a thorn in the flesh so that in your weakness, not through your weakness, but in your weakness, you would experience his grace. This is not a theology of victory. It's not. That somehow through your weakness, you come out on the other side victorious over your weakness. This is a theology of suffering. That in your suffering, God's power is magnified. The Lord does not give this to Paul so that afterwards he says, I prayed to the Lord three times and I'm healed, praise God. It's so that in your suffering, you can magnify God. But frankly, if you're anything like me, that doesn't sound like fun because I don't want to suffer. What I want to do is if I'm suffering, I kind of want to be on the sidelines. I want to pray until God can kind of do his thing. But that's not really the interaction that we see in today's text the Apostle Paul sees this suffering, this particular thorn in his flesh, weakness, as an opportunity for him to grow deeper in communion with God. Weakness gets us wet. Weakness gets us wet. Let me, let me explain. Um, C.S. Lewis, 
he's got this great quote. He says, look, if you, if you want to get wet, you've got to get water on you. And then he says later, it's very much like communion with God. Like if you want God as the source of life and goodness and beauty, you've got to get some of that on you. Like you've got to get nearer to him. Our weaknesses we see Sometimes it's separating us from God, that God has given us this to put us at a distance, but in reality, he's given us this to draw us nearer to the source where we might get wet. When the kids were little, we lived near this wonderful shopping center, one of these outdoor-type shopping centers, and in the middle of it was this beautiful amphitheater and a very, very large splash pad. And water would come up, and the kids would play, and they had a good time. And any time that it was warm, you would go and you would see kids playing in that. But you, you know what you would never see at this splash pad? And I've never seen it at any splash pad. You never see adults playing in it. Right? Why? It can't be, it can't be that adults don't like to get wet, right? Adults shower. I hope you shower, okay? Also know that adults like to get wet because if you go to any, like, swimming pool, you'll see adults there, and, what, and they're wet. If you go to any beach where there's people you will see adults in the water because adults like to get wet. It doesn't have anything to do with water. Why do we not see adults playing in splash pads? Because of pride. An adult will most happily go to the beach and ride home in a wet swimsuit. They don't want to go to the splash pad and dance around out of pride. Imagine this is our weakness in the way that the Apostle Paul is talking about it. We see our weakness is kind of taking us away from God, but it's actually drawing us closer to the fountain. Now, if you saw an adult in a splash pad, what would you think? If you saw an adult playing in a splash pad like a five-year-old child would, what would you think? You would think that they're ill, that there's something not right in the head, right? Because you see how five-year-olds play in splash pads. They think that heaven has come to earth, Jesus has returned because it's the most fun thing that's ever happened. The reason adults don't play, it's not merely just pride is we don't want to be seen as weak. We really don't want to be seen as weak. And all the while, what's interesting to me is all of these little people who are playing in the fountain, they are overflowing with life. And you and I, who are not in the fountain, we're sitting on the sidelines, wasting away on a virtual handheld world. It's one of the most strange and stark contrasts you can see in our society. Let me ask you this. Is it possible 
that the Lord has given you a thorn in your flesh so that you might, for once, step off the sidelines of barely communing with him and go deeper into the life of God so that you might see your weakness not as a negative thing, but as a positive thing to humble you and to draw you more into him. For us to understand grace, we have to understand that grace is for the weak. Grace is also for the insufficient. God's grace is sufficient for us. Look at verses 7 through 9. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, revelations, excuse me, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. I love how the Apostle Paul personifies this. It harasses me, right? To keep me from becoming conceited, though. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. How is God's grace sufficient? How is it enough? It's sufficient because it tells us who he is. Let me explain. This word sufficient or enough, um, we see this in Philip. He says, look, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. It's this sense of... The sigh at the end of the day when the phones are no longer ringing, when the children are no longer screaming, when they're asleep in bed finally, and you sit down and you go, how is God's grace? We have a strange way of going about life because we don't go about as if we do have a thorn. We go about as if we're sufficient. I'm able to get this done in pride, in our own power. This is what Howard E. Butt, um, the founder of the H-E-B food stores, if you've never been to one, they're the best grocery stores in the history of the universe. That's just a free tip for today, okay? Um, He calls this basic dishonesty. So that's not who we are. Every breath that we take is a gift from God. Most all along the way with successful people, they've been helped by others. God's in the background behind it. You see, God's grace is for the insufficient because you and I are going through life and we're not, if it's like anything, like most people, we don't have a series of moments throughout the day. As a matter of fact, our entire days are not, they're busy, they're frustrating, they're grinding. They are using the Apostle Paul's word here, harassing, right? And what God is saying here is that my grace is sufficient for you because precisely you are weak. It's not the strong who need, it's the weak who need it. Do you need it? Do you need his grace? Do you sense your insufficiency and say, I need a place where I can come and his grace is enough, where I can rest? 
Grace is for the insufficient. And finally, the cross is magnified in our weakness and our insufficiency. To me, this is the most beautiful of things. I believe that if we really kind of got this last point, our evangelism would be very, very different. Let me explain. You and I, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're aware of some of your weaknesses. Maybe not all, but you're aware of how they affect you, right? And I believe that the average Christian constantly thinks that they haven't done enough, they aren't enough, they're not doing enough. You have an opportunity, let's say, to share your faith with someone and you think, how can I do this? I didn't even read, I haven't read my Bible in two weeks. I haven't prayed in two days. I haven't said a real prayer in six months. And these moments kind of pass us by. I know that you've had moments like this. I had one recently. I was walking through Walmart. Um, it seems like most of my profound spiritual moments happened at Walmart. I didn't say good spiritual moments, profound. So for good or for ill. I was talking to cashier, um, which sometimes I do. How's your day going? Not good. I began to have a very brief chat. By the time it's over, she's almost crying. And you know what thought went through my head? This is evil. This was on a Friday, and Friday is my day off. And I thought, man, I've been pastoring people all week. I don't want to do this now. So you know what I said? Well, I hope your day gets better. Bye. And I walked off. God provided me a moment to enter into someone's life. And honestly, I was tired from pastoring. I knew my, one of my particular weaknesses is I'm an introvert, but I have the job of being a professional extrovert. And by the end of the week, I'm tired. But the cross could have been magnified in that situation. If I would have seen my weakness as an opportunity to minister to this woman, if I would have just said, look, you know what? My week probably hasn't been as good as yours, or as bad as yours. And my day has been okay. I totally get it. Some of my days just stink. And gone into it, you know, with that, with that sort of mindset God's purpose for allowing our weaknesses is to keep us humble and dependent upon him. Friends, we keep drawing from our own strength and we should be drawing from the one who actually has strength. We think that we have to do something, be something, whatever it may be for the cross to be magnified in us. And what the passage today says is that what you have to be is weak. And by the way, just so that we're clear, the Apostles Paul weakness was a very public weakness. 
I forget the disease that they think that he had, but it crusts his eyes shut and it oozes and it's gross. This isn't private weakness. This is even public weakness. I'll close with this. I think it's a very interesting and beautiful story from J. Oswald Sanders. Uh, And he shares this following. He was talking about this, this evangelist in India. And he's tramping across the roads and he's going around village to village preaching the gospel. And he's a simple man. Has no education, just has Jesus in his heart. And he comes up to this particular village and it's late in the day and he's really tired. And he comes into the village and he lifts up his voice and he begins to share the gospel. And the people in the town deride him, grab sticks and begin to swing them at him. And they drive him out of town. And he's so tired and he finds his way underneath uh, this big tree and he lies down. He fears for his life, but he's so sore from walking however many miles in his bare feet. And suddenly, after dusk, the villagers began to come down toward him. And he knows that there's too many that he cannot run them, and there's no way he could outfight them. And they begin coming, and they surround him, and he thinks, I'm a goner. That's it. At least I end my life as a martyr. And as they surround him, one of the village leaders steps forward and says, we came out to see what kind of man you were. And when we saw the blisters on your feet, we now know that you're a holy man. Would you tell us what you were telling us earlier? And according to Sanders, he preached the gospel and the whole town came to Jesus. A town comes to Jesus because of blisters on feet. How might God work through your weakness to have the cross be magnified in it? Friend, I don't know, but he sure does. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call weak people with weaknesses to be your own. And we ask that we would begin maybe even the process of believing that our weaknesses do not separate us from you, that our weaknesses do not keep us from being inefficient for the kingdom, but rather that our weaknesses draw us in all the more into the triune communion and that they can be used to magnify the cross of our Savior. In whose name we pray, amen. So as we uh, prepare to continue to worship with our giving, let me give, us, give you a, a very quick financial report. We started our budget year July 1st. We're now three months in. After the first quarter, I'm happy to report we are financially solvent. Your, genera- uh, your generosity has provided over $200,000 of income to Trinity for the first quarter. Just a little bit short of our budget, but that's okay. We're right there. 
our spending, well, we know how to spend money. We're right there on, on the budget as well. So I wanted to encourage you with your, your generosity. You are providing for all of our needs, and, and we know God is good. God has blessed us. So thank you again for your generosity. So let me remind you, as the, we pass the, the buckets, please uh, fill out your Connect card and turn them in so we'll have that from you. Let me now encourage you from, uh, from Philippians. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your many blessings to us. Lord, bless this offering to your glory and honor in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. It's very encouraging to me that in my weakness, I have a Savior who also displayed weakness. God, in the incarnation, he could have been any sort of man, right? I think if you were to ask most people, if God were to become a man, what would he look like? People would say Superman. I'm so glad we have a Savior who's not like that. In Gethsemane, Jesus cried out, if it's possible for the cup to pass from me, let it be. Jesus understands human frailty and weakness, friends. He does, and he invites us to a table, the very place where this is a picture of it's done away with in his forever kingdom. He calls us not because we are strong, but because we are weak. On the night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the remission of sins. All of you drink it. The Apostle Paul instructs us in 1 Corinthians, for as often as you eat the bread and as often as you drink the cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. May this be our last supper together as we look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ says to all who truly turn to him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hear also what the Apostle Paul says, that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here also what the Apostle John says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is right and good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks unto you. Almighty God, Holy Father, the everlasting, and therefore with angels and archangels in all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. Praise. You are welcome to eat this bread and drink this wine with us. If you're a Christian who has been baptized by water in the triune name of God, and you're a part of a church where the gospel is preached, I would warn you too, if you are a Christian, if you have something against your brother, before you eat this supper, or if your brother has something against you, would you go to him? Would you go to her? Would you see if reconciliation can happen? Because in the body and blood of Jesus, reconciliation has happened between a holy God and sinners, between Jews and Gentiles, between men and women. This is the table of reconciliation. In a moment, as I pray, the elders We'll come forward and we'll take the supper together and you will go to one of four stations, two at the back and two at the front. Feel free to go to any station that you would like. You'll make a semicircle around the elder there. You'll take the bread and you'll take the wine and hold it and you'll partake together. There is a gluten-free bread option on the table and the red is real wine. And if you prefer grape juice, that is the white. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus that he died for the weak, for the infirm.
and that in coming here, we are recognizing that, we are saying that we are weak. But your grace is sufficient for us, and the cross is magnified in this. Now, help us to eat in faith, thereby lifting us up into the heavenlies. Through Jesus we pray, amen.
Just a quick announcement. If you normally come to 9 a.m. discipleship, Sunday school stuff, we're not having it next week because it is fall break. So enjoy your extra hour. Now hear this good word from the Lord our God. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. Now let us go forth to serve our neighbors in the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace.